0: Welcome to the Neurosurgeon's Journey, part of the Library of Brain and Spine Group's Medical Student Neurosurgery Training Center and a collaboration with the AANS's Young Neurosurgeons Committee. I'm your co-host, Michael Kortz. I'm currently the Senior Student Director of Education Resources for MSNTC, and shortly will be joined by your other co-host, Dr. Jeremiah Johnson. He is an Assistant Professor of Neurosurgery at the Baylor College of Medicine and is the current Chair of the YNC. We're happy to have you with us as we look deeper into the rewarding life of a neurosurgeon and explore what it takes to get there. Dr. Johnson, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great, how are you Michael? Doing great,
0: I'm excited to talk about this. Certainly a topic that's high on my list uh, in terms of what's important in my journey. Um, Dr. Christopher Graffio, he's the uh, chief resident at Mayo Clinic in Minnesota, where he is also completing an infolded fellowship in skull-based neuro-oncology. Next year, he'll be completing an open cerebrovascular and skull-based fellowship under Dr. Michael Lawton at the Barrow Neurological Institute. Uh, Dr. Graffio, how are you doing
2: today? Hey, Michael. It's uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah. Doing well. Excited to chat with you and uh, Jeremiah and Joey and the rest of the the audience, I suppose, about uh, sub-eyes and uh, sort of... One of the you know quintessential steps in the pathway into neurosurgery absolutely yeah thank you for that
0: uh, introduction that's great um, Our second guest is dr. Joseph Lindsay he's a pgy 2 at the University of Michigan uh, where he completed his medical school and also earned a master's degree in clinical research from their School of Public Health uh, he's interested in a career uh, in cerebrovascular and endovascular surgery Joey, it's great to have you on that's great to be here so it kind of it kind of already set up the conversation a little bit. You know, the, the idea is getting a junior resident, senior resident perspective on the sub-I, sub-internship and interview. Understand a little bit more about what that process is. You know, what is a sub-internship? Why do you think this is an important topic to talk about?
1: Yeah, so my apologies to those who already know what this is because I'm going to start as if, you know, you're not even in medical school or medicine. So essentially- it's great. Um, what what happens is you work your way through medical school, um, you, you end up in, uh, rotations and clinical rotations where you are in services for certain periods of time so general surgery four weeks uh, you know neurology four weeks etc now uh, some of the surgical specialties and this is very very uh, very much a requisite in neurosurgery is that um, in addition to your normal medical school rotations you have to spend time on a neurosurgery service and that's particularly important because not every medical school lets you even spend time on a neurosurgery service so if you intend to go into neurosurgery, somehow you've been exposed to it and you want to go into that field before you go into any kind of match. It is extremely you know, really prerequisite in neurosurgery that you do sub internships, almost always one at a home program. If you happen to have a residency in your medical school, if not, you know, then these are all away away experiences. But then it, usually two additional, sometimes more month long rotations at other neurosurgery programs around the country. How you strategize which ones to go to is a different conversation, um, but but you have to kind of set these away rotations up. And this is a standard known track. At each of these places, you get to know the programs, they get to know you, and then you have to have, it's a requirement to have a letter of recommendation from someone at that program, typically the program director or the chair of the program you rotate at to be accompany your application to neurosurgery residency. This is a very important piece of neurosurgery and it's evolved this way in large part because neurosurgery is not only very competitive, but it's also very rigorous training. So the idea of it is that from both sides, you A, get to get to know another program. So when they get to know you and you may be a match together and you're more likely to match there if you like each other. So that's one good piece of it. The second good piece is that it makes sure that the trainee is interested in the training, Right you know somebody just doesn't like the name neurosurgery and has never experienced it and then they get into training and they realize they don't like it so that de-risks it for both sides that they are going to match someone that has seen this firsthand lived it for probably at least three months of their life before they go they agree to go through the match so that that just makes sure everyone's on the same page Mm -hmm. and then uh and then finally it gives all the programs around the country um a letter from someone who's seen you in person um, so when you go interviewing around the country to the programs you haven't visited it gives those programs an additional piece of information about how you performed in your previous rotations and, and would they want to take you. So if you get a letter from the, all these chairs program directors typically know each other. So if you get a letter from uh, you know, let's say Lawton right or someone like that and it's glowing and that that follows you around to all your interviews. And so it makes a big difference on how people perceive you uh, and your performance level.
0: That's great, That's, uh, Christopher. To start with you, you know, um, just to kind of echo what Dr. Johnson has said, uh, as well as your own thoughts about um, your experience, um, certainly as a the chief resident, you know, on on the program side and as on the student side, you know, what, what your initial thoughts about subis and, and their importance are.
2: Yeah. So uh, the thanks for the, the sort of the prompt, Michael, and I mean Jeremiah summarized everything really well. Yeah. Um, I sort of highlight a few things that i think uh maybe being a little bit closer to the experience of having done them myself but even more importantly looking at them now through the lens of of having watched six years worth of sub eyes come through right. here at mayo and getting a sense for uh you know what's the the resident experience in terms of uh, how are you trying to sort of select people um and and what helps people stand out both in a good way and potentially harms people who stand out in Maybe not so favorable a way, right? Um, in terms of sort of the general principles, again to echo what Jeremiah had said, it's really kind of non-negotiable that you do at least one or two, ideally three rotations, a home program, and one or two other ways. Obviously, the as you alluded to earlier, the the current situation with COVID—that's a qualified statement because nobody is doing rotations anywhere. But once they're back on the table, I think neurosurgery will be sort of the forefront of specialties that'll want people to start doing these again. Um, And there's a number of reasons for that. You know, one of them is, you know, signing up for a seven-year neurosurgery residency. It's a big deal. It's a big commitment. And people want people who are both uh, committed to the specialty in general and who are going to be a good fit for their program in particular. And without spending a couple months kind of immersed in the culture, it can be very easy to make a wrong call. And I, I think that You know, there's sort of a separate conversation to be had that I I don't think that we're going to get too much into today uh, that's figuring out, are you sure you want to be a neurosurgeon? And that's Mm -hmm. a really important question, and you have to be honest about it. And I I have known several people who have left a neurosurgery residency by this point, um, people ahead of me my year after me, um, who, you know, fell in love with the idea of being a neurosurgeon in high school and college and medical school whenever, and just kind of put their heads down and matched. And then uh, a couple of years later came up for air and realized like, my God, uh, what have I done? This is a huge mistake. What, what a terrible fit for me. I don't want this life. And so spending a couple of years, or excuse me, a couple of months immersed in the culture, it's sort of a last litmus test. If, if you are at the end of three months having a bad time every day, residency is gonna be way worse and way harder and way more intense. And if you aren't psyched to go in as a, as a student, when, I mean, the stakes are not negligible, but you're not actually responsible for taking care of patients. You're mostly just right. responsible for learning and, and you know picking up a little slack on the team here and there. Um, then you're you're probably not going to enjoy yourself as a resident, and it's a chance to kind of have a last opportunity to to look at yourself in that context and say, is this a good fit? Um, so that's that's one reason I think it's it's valuable to help make that final decision. Um, it's also the the subis are your yardstick for all the other experiences you're going to have as an applicant, and those are those are useful both both to you looking at other programs and are useful as you talk to other people and try to figure out what programs are like. Hmm. So the thing that I think is really important to keep in mind is how do you go about selecting where are you going to go? And, and I'm kind of bringing this up for the the reason that you want to pick programs that um, have a couple features. So one, you only want to rotate somewhere that you would actually want to match. Hmm. And there are people out there who will tell you to or who have decided to go to a particular program because they want to say it or they think that the letter from a person there is going to make a big difference and i don't think that that's really the case i mean there's it neurosurgery is a small community there are people at every institution who are very respected and who have friends and colleagues elsewhere especially the academic world of neurosurgery right so you're going to get a meaningful letter from almost any rotation that you would consider doing but to waste a month of your life somewhere that you would never consider matching is is a poor use of your time and the people who are in the the sub eye pool have a small competitive advantage, I think, against people who are from the applicant pool and I see, you know people who just interview and I right. say this is someone who you know i 'm a Mayo, I wanted to be here, I love being here um, I only interviewed here i didn 't rotate here, and so it 's you know people still end up matching almost every institution who are not from that program who didn 't rotate there, but now kind of from the the chief side looking back it is certainly the case that people who are known quantities who show up for a month who do a good job who are easy to get along with who who are smart and show good judgment and and communicate well those people are kind of um they don't feel as risky Mm -hmm. you know you still are only going to there are other factors play into things you know your your grades and test scores um your research Uh, does your personality fit with the program? Is it a a place you want to be? And, you know, do you get along with the other personalities that are there at the staff and the resident levels? But saying, you know, I spent a month with this kid and he didn't drive me nuts. Like that's, that's a very big positive. And um, you can hide a lot for two days while you do an interview. And, you know, people who, who are all stars in interviews still get matched everywhere. And, you know i'm not saying that people should only uh screen those applicants or that they, it, it's not a huge boost you know it's mm-hmm. the difference between like a b and a b plus if that was you know if you were getting a b otherwise you might get a little bit of an extra credit for for having shown up or mm-hmm. you know i think that people sometimes will in making a rank list, kind of cluster groups of applicants together like these five were the all-stars and then these next five were really amazing and they had one or two things about them that maybe weren't you know a plus material but they're really great and then you know kind of down the list from there and within a particular group there are things that might move you up or down relative to, you're not going to go from like group three to group one simply because you did a sub i but if you're someone gotcha. in group two so to speak and this is the the i, I this is sort of an abstraction this isn't what happens yeah, yeah. like a version of this happens everywhere yeah. um you may have a you may move up a little bit within your your so called group hmm. um if you rotated somewhere and you performed well yeah. uh, another piece of bad advice that I think is out there a lot in addition to rotating somewhere just to get a letter is not rotating somewhere you really want to be and i think that some particularly anxious medical students are afraid oh no what if i you know uh, say something off color or uh, i step yeah. on someone's toe or i i screw something up and you know i don't want to ruin my chances mm-hmm and this is a little bit flip i suppose but I, I would say that you know if you want to go into neurosurgery you have to get comfortable with risk and you got to get comfortable with risk early and you have to be uh, you're going to be surrounded for your entire career by people who are very performance oriented who are good at what they do who take what they do seriously who take patient care and excellence in patient care really seriously and if you're not willing to say like i'm going to put myself out there and i'm going to do my best and i'm confident that my best will stand up um, and if I make a mistake that I'm going to be able to to make up for it, that I'm going to, you know, be excellent in so many other ways that if I, you know, forget the chairman's name or I, you know, uh, say the wrong answer to a diagnosis at some case conference or something like that, it, that's not going to be the thing that's remembered that like me being great is going to be what's remembered. And, right. you know, so I think that you got to go places where you would want to end up. And, and I guess the last thing I would say in all of that is, it's good to try to pick places that are, that are diverse. So, and what do I mean by that? Um, geographically, it's good to get in multiple regions. And again, like my own experience is kind of a, uh silly like I ended up rotating at, at Penn and Pittsburgh and everyone was like oh you must really want to move to Pennsylvania and I was like no this is just by by <laughs> by accident like I had mentors at NYU who came from those programs and said these are really amazing places you'd check them out and I didn't think about sort of the consequences of that right. but I I'd at least have my interviews someone asked me like what's up with Pennsylvania man why are you why are you spending two months there and you know so it, I I think that um If you're coming from the East or the West Coast and you are very interested in going to the opposite coast, rotating there gets you taken seriously. Hmm. So that's a good thing to, you know, and if you're really wanting to be taken seriously as sort of a small program or an out-of-the-way program or somewhere that, that has something unusual about it, you know, showing up there, showing up in the region... Um, visiting it in some capacity is is a very useful thing to do, and then the other thing is people. And this is these are sort of false uh, definitions in a sense, but people tend to put most programs into a couple big buckets where there's places that are quote unquote academic or quote unquote clinical, where you know the emphasis of the culture is are you doing a lot of operating early on in a more clinical program, Are the case volumes higher, is resident autonomy more sort of baked into the thing. Um, versus is everyone going in a lab is everyone getting a grant for their research year is you know everyone who wants to have a lab and an academic job and a k award within the first 3 years of graduation getting one and there are philosophical differences in how some programs are run um it's a it's a it's a spectrum you know right. there isn't just you flip a switch and everyone is a or b um but it's it's useful to have programs that have different flavors to them Um, And it gives you, again, the, when you go out and you interview at 15 different places, having a sense for, I was at this place that was very academic and these are the things that I liked about it and the things that I didn't like it. And I was at this other place that was very clinical. These are the things that I liked and I didn't like about it. It gives you a wider understanding of the possibilities for what training programs can look like and what curricula can look like and what resident experiences can look like. And then you can fit every other program into that matrix and sort of get a sense for where does that fall for you and your, your desires and your priorities and all of that. So that's kind of a long winded answer with a lot of information in it, but no, it does well that, does that kind of hit the highlights for you? That no, was
0: great. And the, the thing you last said was, I thought was very, it was provocative is that, you know, you, when you go on these cause you only can go to three to four. I mean, you could do eight in a year, but you would be insane to do that. Um, uh, unless you're really worried about your chances. But I think that there's a, You know, having your experience, uh, certainly on sub-I, you know, the three or four programs that you go to, having your experience at those institutions, whether you they were what you thought were not, having them as your lens for your interview season, you know, being able to learn a lot about different programs and different styles, whether they be academic, clinical, whatever the spectrum, wherever they are on the spectrum, but applying some of those principles on your interview so you can ask, you know, well-thought-out questions so you can really get
2: a good... Uh, view of the program in those two days um, and also so you can converse with other applicants right and you know th- those are your best resource and you know people uh, sort of a funny footnote of this whole sub i thing that again we won't get into too much here is that you know be cool to the other sub eyes you know be a right. be a good citizen i know that at some point we're going to kind of get, get into the sort of do's and don'ts of things but um it, your other co-applicants yes ostensibly you are competing with them but like most people who have good applications are going to do well you're going to get in somewhere great you're trying to find a good fit um and you are each other's resources and i mean i i can say very earnestly mayo was my last interview um i had a little two-day trip plan where i went to i went to iowa and here and i was very serious i was so burnt out i considered canceling both of them um, and if it were not for the the co-applicants who I was friends with, who I'd met at mm. interviews, who had rotated here, who had said such incredible things about it that made me really feel like I got to go out there. I got to see what this place is all about. Um, I wouldn't have shown up and I would have ended up at a different program because I wouldn't have even ranked this place. And I, I've had a spectacular experience here. And I I knew after coming here that it was a place I really wanted to end up. Huh. So there's, there's a lot of uh, value in being able to talk about your sub I experiences and other people's and you may not even end up wanting to end wanting to stay at one of the places where you rotated. But being able to tell other people about it, you're doing it's a good citizenship act, basically, like you're helping other people try to figure out what's a good fit for them. You're helping those programs figure out what's a good fit for them. You know, at the end of the day, like we you kind of got to believe in the match and you kind of got to hope that we're all going to end up at a place that is that is good for us and our personality and our career goals um, and one way to facilitate that is by you know participating in this sub I project or process Um, and then being kind of honest and open about discussing your experiences with the other applicants. And that's the kind of thing that can happen behind closed doors, you know, it's to say, like, you don't have to do that in the lunchroom with a bunch of residents around. In fact, I would encourage you not to be the someone at an interview talking smack about some place that you just spent a month. Um, But if there was somewhere that you had a negative experience, or even a very positive experience, but you were just surprised by something that you were Mm -hmm. like, Oh, this is really different than my home program. Is it like that where you're from, you know, do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing like those are those are valuable conversations to build a sense for you know your understanding of how neurosurgery training works and how you want it to work for you.
0: Joey, do you, do you uh, anything that you would want to echo, disagree with, agree with? Certainly as your, your perspective uh, as a junior resident, you recently went through this process and now have, you have that experience fresh in your mind um, as well as now being on the other side. Um, your perspective is unique. Do you have any thoughts
3: uh, off of what Christopher said? yeah so I agree with I agree with a lot of uh, what he said um, ultimately while I was going through the process, I reached out to him and uh, got a lot of that same advice because uh, uh, you know it, it ultimately neurosurgery is a community that uh, as medical students you're about to enter into and it's a wonderful beautiful community and it's it's really a lot mm-hmm. of fun um, and so there's a lot of help uh, like I said Christopher helped me a, a lot throughout uh, the process but i I completely agree, I think, that uh, going to sub that you actually think that you have a, a desire to go to is really important. All, all, all. So I ended up doing uh, my home sub-I and then three uh, away rotations, which is a little more than I think average. But you know, all three of the places I went to uh, were places I was very seriously considering um, and, and very much enjoyed um, all three experiences for very different reasons. And again, similar to what Christopher said, I think that there's a lot of benefit in diversifying. You know, I think one of the other things. So he talked about academic and uh, kind of clinical-based, and and the diversity of uh, uh, location. I, I think something else that maybe isn't talked about quite as much in a forum like this, but is often talked about uh, kind of behind closed doors, is uh, there's there's in t- intensity levels uh, of programs. There are programs that are known to be very intense. And, uh, you know, you work really, really, really hard. And there are programs that are known to have a less intense uh, atmosphere. And that was something else that I, I personally wanted to know. Uh, U- University of Michigan, where I am and where I knew, is not known to be a particularly intense program in terms of uh, you're never going to get yelled at from an attending, you know, it's, it's a very supportive collegial atmosphere. So I, I, I felt like I had a very good sense for, for that type of program. And, um, you know, in my sub eyes, I wanted to see other programs, see different intensity levels um, because ultimately, you know, the next seven years, you're going to be, you're going to come into that culture and be working at that intensity level. And so I wanted mm-hmm. to be able to get those different senses and, um, that was something that was really helpful for me during my my sub eyes is seeing that diversity of programs, but ultimately uh, I think probably the most important thing that Christopher said was uh, the importance of your co sub eyes and co applicants. I learned a ton from uh, the people that I. Um, I interviewed with, I rotated mm-hmm. with, I obviously am still in communication with, with a lot of them. And uh, you know, it was actually just section a couple of them uh, last night, seeing how their second year is going. And it's, it's a really important part of the process. And for those people who are going through, you know, COVID, I, yeah, it's something that will have to be done in a different manner, uh, more online and uh, through social media, but getting the opinions of those around you and starting to build your your network and your your group is one of the the best parts about sub eyes as you mm-hmm. really start developing that that kind of posse that you're going to be with for the rest of your career
0: right would you would you agree with that dr johnson would you say that i think everything that, that
1: chris and got your yeah, everything that Chris and Joey said is is correct. I mean, yeah. as I've 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 moved along in age, the posse has changed as, you know, you go through residency. Uh, I think maybe Joey, when he's a PGY-7, his posse will much more closely resemble his co-residents. <laughs> um, but he's still, I mean, you still keep in touch with these people, but it's just that as the years distance you, uh, you know, it's just harder and harder to be really, really close compared to people you see every day and, and mm-hmm. go through battle with, so to speak. But um, but I, I I do agree that those people are your colleagues uh, and your generation and you want to uh, treat them well because you'll be seeing them for a long time.
0: That's great, yeah. I think you guys touched on, each of you touched on a little bit about things that students should be doing while they're on service. Are there particular, you know, Christopher, you had said earlier that we're going to get to do's and don'ts and I, I don't want to frame it in just, just that. You know, this is what you should do. This is what you should not do. Obviously there's, a lot of room for interpretation, whether depending on the student or the, the, the program but what are some things that you th- whether you're evaluating students or when you are on your sub eyes um, are things that you think all students should know whether they be cliches or hidden secrets or whatever? what are some things <laughs> that you think all students should uh, be cognizant of once they, they get into a program where they do really want to be there they want and that's where they would love to train for the next seven years.
2: Yeah, um, that's that's a great question, Um, and I have a a bunch of thoughts about it. I'm I'm sure you're surprised to hear. No, Um, I I want to hear them. Before I forget, one thing that Joey mentioned that I I want to call back to Mm -hmm. is um, the intensity concept is an interesting one, and that's another part of the sort of figuring out what's out there, what are different sort Mm -hmm. of flavors of training program, what's a good fit for you, and a really important aspect of that to think about, or at least what was for me is there are places where you get on a conveyor belt and you are going to be forced to do certain things and there are people for whom that is very beneficial we're having heavy-handed mentorship um we're having specific goals with like well-defined you know objective endpoint you will have x number of papers a year or um you will have x number of dollars in grants by this year or whatever where that kind of motivation and that kind of structure is very helpful Um, And it's okay to be honest about recognizing if you're the kind of person who's gonna benefit from that. Um, I am not the kind of person who benefits from that. I find that sort of like, you know, iron handed authority a little bit stifling. And um, I wanted to be in an environment that was a little bit more, um, here are the resources. We expect you to do the most you can with them, but we're not here to baby you and hold your hand. You need to figure it out. And some people will swim. Some people will tread water. Some people will drown. Uh, And it's good to get a... uh, We're glad to know that you haven't drowned yet. Yeah, not yet. (laughs) I got nine months left. But uh, (laughs) the, you know, there's something to be said at almost every step of this process Uh for being honest with yourself and that'll be true Uh to your entire training that you know you you're going to be good at some things and bad at some things and there are some things you are naturally inclined to succeed at and others that you're going to have to work extra hard and that doesn't mean you shouldn't do those but set yourself up for success as much as you can and being a little bit more rigorous about your sort of self-examination early in the process pays off in a big way down the road um, anyway, to, to your actual question about sort of what are the what are the pearls that I think um, I would impart to medical students who are who are you know getting on this uh, sub I bus, um, I came up with a line years ago. I think I was a medical student at the time. It was sort of towards the end of that that um, you know medical student is basically a, it's like a vocabulary class followed by a dance lesson. That it's it's all about figuring out what to say and where to stand. And um, I think that that kind of holds true today. And um, a lot of what you're figuring out how to do as a sub eye is like where to stand. Like you wanna, you wanna be in a position that you're seen that if someone needs help, you're right there ready to help them, that you have a, a good view to see what's going on, to learn, to absorb, um, but you're not in the way. And, and I mean this both practically in terms of like standing in between the person who's operating in the scrub tech is a stupid place to stand because you're gonna <laughs> impede the operation and it could be dangerous or you're just gonna annoy somebody. Um, And also in the sort of metaphorical sense of, you know, you want to be someone who asks a smart question at a moment when everyone is prepared to receive a question, you don't want to be someone who is constantly, you know, you are in everyone's face all the time, because you are asking so many questions in moments when people are trying to focus on another thing, that uh, it seems like you're, you're standing in the middle of the room when someone else is giving a talk, and that's kind of an awkward thing to do. Yeah. You know there's a lot of pra- i mean i think about things in very practical terms in spite of all the weird That's metaphors great. and like i you know be be on time um if possible be early always stay late you know if there's a case going on you should probably be there and at least you know watching um ideally scrubbing offer to help scrub offer to close um with the caveat that if you are ever told to leave by a resident you should leave you can ask once are you sure you don't need anything. There's nothing I can do. Is there someone else I should go check with? Should I go see who's on call tonight? Like you can put a, a, a clarifying question in there. Back to that dance. But if someone tells you, "No, I'm serious. Get out of here," <laughs> I promise you, there's a good reason. And yeah. it's it's either that case is going to be an you know a, a, a total show that you don't want to be trapped in for the next eight hours, mm-hmm. or maybe someone's in a bad mood and they don't want you to have to be you know the person who's around and who's you know they're introduced to them when they're gonna by default formulate a negative opinion hmm. or maybe they're just you know we're gonna have to hit the gas and go here and you're gonna you know be four feet away from a wound and you know try not to fall asleep on your feet all night and like right. th- there are times when um and these are rare I mean it's been I can think of maybe two times in six years that I've told a student like I would strongly advise that you go home now. Like this is hmm. a, this is a, you know, I'm, I, I tend to uh, encourage people to stay as long as, you know, possible and to, as long as there's still something educational, it's good to be there. Right. Um, but it's a, it's a bad sign if someone who's applying for the job of intern um, is not able to take simple directions and things like we're done for the day. There's nothing left to do. I just got paperwork, go to sleep or go write a paper or go read or whatever. Right. So, you know, be present, huh. but but if you're encouraged to to be present somewhere else, I would take that advice. A lot of common um, sense. Yeah, involved, you got to know yeah. your patients, and this is true from all of medical school. And huh. you know, you don't. It doesn't need to be an extreme. I mean, no one's going to ask you like their nickname from junior high, but you should. If you're showing up to an operating room, you're expected to know. I would say, what's the disease? What's the basic surgical plan? You don't need to know the nuanced detail between oh, we're doing a, a retrosig instead of a trans lab for this particular reason. If you do, that's great, that's awesome. Those are things to aspire to learn, but you need to know like, the, okay, the plan today is we're gonna do a retrosig and take out a vestibular schwannoma. Um, if you have access to the medical record, read the staff's note, like read the, the last clinic note that says here's the surgical plan and here's why. You can learn a ton from doing it and it right. also makes you look like someone um, who cares, which, right. is, which is important in terms of knowledge based stuff i would say that anatomy and imaging are fair game and you don't no one expects you to know everything but you will be asked questions about those kind of things right. and if you don't know don't make something up say i don't know or say i'll look that up later or one of those other you know weird things we're all taught to say but yeah. um you should, I would focus more of your time and attention in sort of reading and studying on just knowing basic anatomy, knowing basic imaging features, you know, on every rotation I've had and with most of the subis who spent time with me sort of on the other end of the thing, you know, I've gone through, you know, question and answer sessions where you'll, you'll say, what's this, what's that? you know, here we are, you know, the the staff has left the room, the case is over, you know, let me show you around. And, Uh you know, here's the CP angle. Do you know what nerve this is? Do you know what artery that is? Like, and again, it's, it's usual, most people aren't jerks. Most neurosurgeons are nice people in spite of, you know, popular misconceptions. No one is or most people are not trying to like grill you to prove you wrong. They're just trying to get a sense for what you know and what you don't. And right. a lot of us tend to think it's fun. I mean, I love anatomy and I love thinking about anatomy and teaching anatomy. And I think it's nice to to have those sort of engaged discussions with students. Um, but, you know, I, getting d- too fussy about sort of the details of exactly what's going to be done in a procedure, right. um, because there's so much diversity and there's so much person to person variability. That's not always a good use of your time having a, right. a you know, 10,000. Foot view of the plan, you know we're doing a fusion today. Levels, you know L one to five. This is the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. That's all you need to know. Um, but you know someone's going to ask you. You know what's the pars? Do you know? Or you know what are our? Do you know what our landmarks are for starting a pedicle screw? And those are those are good things to try to have an understanding of. And you'll you'll never know everything. I don't know everything. I'm I I know so little. Um, but that's kind of the fun of this. So, do you recommend,
0: um, like, you know, like doing trying to do a neuroradiology rotation before your sub eye? I mean, do you think
2: that would be valuable? If you can, that's great. But most people can't, and right. I certainly wouldn't do that instead of doing a home neurosurgery rotation or filling mm-hmm. any of your core rotations out. There's a lot of great stuff online.
3: Right. Um, there's
2: a handful of websites where you can just run through cases. There's some nice videos on YouTube. There's a ton of great neuroradiologists on on Twitter um one of my favorite academic medicine websites where uh you can you can learn a lot and in tiny little amounts of time um but yeah i, would, I would put links to some online of those stuff. resources um, yeah and there's an article i wrote with a couple of my co-residents a few years ago it's uh it's called non-required reading uh clinical neurosurgery 101 or something like that it's in world neurosurgery where we basically go through like 10 or 12 basic books um hmm. that are sort of what i thought were the what I would tell intern me to read, um, and why I think they're really useful. And I would anyone listening to this who's looking for stuff that I think is useful to study. The reason I wrote that was to give people a guide for this stage of things to like, here are here and it's not even all books, you know, some of those like, use the Roten collection, to to learn your anatomy. and there's actually everything for the most part that we're talking about today is also there was a Jeremiah, I can correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was winter 2018. There was a, a newsletter article that kind of hit the same highlights of this. So if you want to go back and read another version of what we're saying today. That, yeah, um, we'll
0: we'll put links to some of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. We, yeah, for, for people um, who are interested in diving into that, because I think a lot of people would. I think people are, are yearning for some of those pragmatic answers, you know, because um, there's a lot of just like. Because it is such a highly specialized field, there's um, it's hard to know um, exactly. It's where It's overwhelming. To start. I mean, there's yeah, just so much out there
2: that you could read. I, right. I still today feel somewhat overwhelmed by it, and I've and I've read a lot. But that's that that article should give you a good start for things. That's great. Um, yeah. bef- the the other thing that I would just say before I forget on the to do thing, have a talk. Have a talk that's short like yes. about 10 minutes that if asked, you could condense to five or expand to 20. Because at some point during most rotations, you're going to be asked to give a brief presentation you want. It's it best case scenario, it should be on research of yours. If it's not, it should at least be on an interesting patient that you could then do some teaching about a weird disease. Mm-hmm. Um, and whatever time block you're given, that is the most you should talk for and this is true, this is true when you're a resident, this is true when you're a staff, no one in neurosurgery will ever begrudge you finishing your talk early. Like we all <laughs> have things to do. We all want to get out of the lecture. Like here, if you here. finish your 10 minute talk in eight <laughs> minutes, everyone's going to love you. Like yeah. it's don't insist on giving your 20 minute talk in 15 minutes when you're told to give 10, because again, you look right. like someone who's not paying attention and, right. you know, and you're making people H to the OR. Simple directions. Or what are some things that you know, day one, you
0: should know. And I think Christopher touched on a lot of that. And then how would you gauge your success on day 30 or 60 after spending that amount of time on a service? You know, I think a lot of people, they don't really, you know, they might get evaluated in, in real time or, or, you know, they have an interview with the program at the end or that sort of thing. But because we're don't really know what we're doing, um, it's hard to know exactly if we were successful and obviously matching is the the best indicator but you know what, what are some things that we should know at day 30 or day 60 about neurosurgery and then how we should gauge our success after getting being on that service
3: yes that's a great question i i would say i would agree with a lot of what christopher said in terms of what we need to know day one um yeah. you you want to be able to know you know, basic radiology, you want to be able to catch blood on a CT, you want to be able to differentiate a tumor, you want to be able to have some basic knowledge of, of MRI sequences and um, what you're looking for in different sequences, th- those kinds of things. And you want to be able to know basic anatomy. You know, again, I, I don't think that many people would expect you to be able to, you know, get too detailed as a, as a medical student, but but certainly being able to have an understanding of where you are during an operation. And if you don't know, being able to ask intelligent questions that let people know that you're really thinking through the prior knowledge that you have and trying to add on to it. Um, And I think Mm -hmm. most people don't begrudge uh, medical students that if they can tell that you're really actively trying to learn with them, um, as long as you have that base knowledge. And, And then... Like, like Christopher said, I I, I can't overemphasize the importance on day one of just being yourself and having common sense. The, re- the reality <laughs> is, is neurosurgeons are busy. They are high performing people and they tend to be, you know, they want to get the day done. They have a lot to do. And when, you know, their ORs are done at seven, they have papers to write, they have papers to review, they have committees they need to talk on. and you know, at some point they, they may want to see their wife and kids or their, their husband. Podcast. They Um, need to record. Or podcast. They need to record. (laughs) Exactly. So, so ultimately it takes a lot to just use that common sense and act the way that you would assume someone would want you to act. Um, on day 30, day 60, you know, I, I, I got into a habit. I don't know if it was annoying or not, but when I was on sub eyes, um, especially if I felt like I was getting to know some of the residents um, or felt like I was developing a good relationship with them. I often was quite blunt and, you know, halfway through the sub, I would, would just say, Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm trying to make sure that I'm, I'm doing a good job, that I'm, I'm improving. Are there any specific things that, that you've noticed that uh, I'm doing that is good things that I'm doing that are poor Uh, things that need to change. Um, And, there were, there were certainly a few times that that kind of, the resident was like, oh, I don't, I don't really have anything for you. Uh, but more times than not, uh, I think the resident was appreciative that I was trying to figure out what I was doing wrong or what I was doing right, and I got some really good feedback. And so I think that you can self-gauge in that way. I think that, again, talking to your co sub is really helpful a lot of times they're able to give you a good sense on how you're doing, being able to bounce ideas off of them. And I, you know, I, I don't think that you're, you're probably going to be asking the chair of a program that you're rotating at how you're doing and you're probably not going to get a ton of pointed feedback from them. You may, but uh, that's probably going to be less likely. I, w- I would say that the best way to gauge yourself is, how you're uh, interacting with the residents, how they seem when they're when they're around you. Are they working to teach you? You know, I, I had one resident where I, I specifically remember this case where we were we were doing a, a spinal fusion together, and he was he was getting on me and he said, "Hey Joe, you need to be anticipating this. You need to be doing that. You need to be working towards this." And and after the case, you know, he was like, "You know, I I am um kind of." riding on you because I I think that you can you can do better and I and I I think that you you uh you know have have potential and because I was developing that relationship with with this particular resident yeah I felt like I was probably doing a decent job on the on the rotation he had noticed me and and that kind of thing and I, I I think that more often than not as medical students you're able to get that feedback from residents and and have a sense for where where you are I think yeah, not taking things personally. You know, um, if they're if they're on yeah, you, never.
0: there's a good chance they're they're probably invested in you. If they're not talking to you, that's not a good sign.
3: Yeah, in neurosurgery, I, I don't think you can ever really take something something personally, even if it's meant right. personally. Uh, it's it's important to realize that everyone's trying to help you improve, and if they're not, you can still take it as as ways to ways to improve. So never take anything personally always take it in the mentality of this is this is an opportunity for me to grow improve and uh and just keep getting better yeah and,
2: and uh, get used to great. feedback just being a part of your normal process early on right you No, know, it's the whole like residency is in theory at least you know going to be seven years of you getting uh, sequential opportunities to basically screw up on someone else's watch and learn from what you screwed up and then not make that same mistake again. And you know, I tell all the juniors and all the medical students, it's okay to make mistakes. It's good to make mistakes. Like you learn from mistakes. Those are things that you won't forget most of the time, at least. What's not okay is making the same mistake twice or what's not okay is making a mistake and then not learning from it and not, uh, you know, being thoughtful about what could I have done better and you know, uh, what are the steps to make sure that I don't make this particular mistake in the future. Mm -hmm. If you find yourself in a situation on a sub I where you feel like you underperformed in some way not in the moment but afterwards later that day the next day later in the rotation you know try to find one of the more junior residents who was involved in it and ask like hey could i debrief about this with you um another sort of thing that's you know tied to the sort of the big picture uh, dues of a good rotation, try to figure out who your chiefs are going to be and try to figure out for most programs, that's the PGY fives. Sometimes it's the fours, you know, there's a little bit of variability, you know, our program, it's a little bit flexible, because some of us do achieve your six on the sevens. Um, but try to get a sense for who those people might be. Um, and if you can, because oftentimes they'll be on research years, try to set a meeting with them. And you could ask them something like, you know, what do you think makes a great resident? You know what are you, what are what are the sort of things that you're looking for in a junior, and you know is there anything that you could you could give me in terms of advice and how to how to work towards that? Whether I end up here or somewhere else, you know, I want to succeed and I hope that we're going to be colleagues someday. And I'd really appreciate your insight. And I think that kind of um, thoughtful approach to things will, you know, if someone has feedback to give you, it gives them the opportunity to do it without kind of forcing the issue. And if nothing else, it shows that you're trying to reach out to people who would be your primary educators, the people who are the most responsible for you and try to build a little bit of a relationship with them. And you know, I always appreciated it when the the students introduced themselves and kind of went out of their way to say like, hey, I know you're on your research here, but, um, you know, I'd like, to, are you going to conference or, you know, are you going to be in the OR any day? Is there any way we could connect? And I think that's helpful.
0: So I kind of like to just switch gears just a little bit, um, Dr. Johnson. Unless and do you have any thoughts about kind of everything that's been said at this point? Certainly, your faculty position has a unique perspective on, on some of this stuff.
1: I mean, there's a lot of directions you can go. I mean, we could talk about this for hours. I mean, I think yeah. all these the, the points everyone has made are, are essentially nail on the head. I mean, just abs- yeah. absolutely nail on the head. The other thing that I would I would mention is that you want to be. It's almost Chris almost made this comment just a moment ago and it's like, what are the characteristics of students that faculty and residents are looking to match? Right. And you want to be that person, not Mm -hmm. just because you want to fake it until you make it, but you like want to become that person. So let me ask Joey, like, Joey, what are you looking for in a medical student who rotates in your service and that you would love to match in your program? What are you looking for? What are the characteristics?
3: I mean, ultimately I'm looking for someone who is hardworking, who is able to take feedback well, and who's honest because there's, it comes up all the time where a faculty member says, hey, did you look at you know, the INR for this patient? And maybe you didn't. And you can't say, oh yeah, it's, it's probably normal. Um, I want someone who is honest, is it willing to tell me when they do something and when they don't. Um, and overall it's just pleasant. Uh, no one wants to work with a complainer. Someone who everything is the world is out to get them. Someone who's who's pleasant and is willing to work hard.
1: How about you, Chris?
2: Um, I agree with everything Joey said. I think I would add to that someone who who just absolutely loves neurosurgery and. You know, everyone hurt here some version of the, you know, uh, sort of Pat uh, saying about like, if you can be happy doing anything else, like you probably should be, you know, I, I would almost put that on its head and say, if you are every day as a student, every day as a resident getting up and getting excited to go to the OR to do at least some, most of the cases, um, you know, to take care of neurosurgery patients, it's a very unique world and it's a weird world and it has things about it that are that are amazing, that are challenging, that are difficult. Um, but if it doesn't get you excited, you're not as much fun to teach and you're not as much fun to be around. And so I am I tend to look for people who are passionate about, about the field in general. It's good to have interests. I think that most medical students are fairly unformed. And I honestly distrust people who say like, oh, well, I'm going to be a deformity surgeon, you know, and subspecialized in, uh, you know, to sacral is like that's a little too much sense for where you're going to be in like 10 or 15 years and I say this as someone who like I think I ended up about where I thought I was going to but there have been so many things as a resident that I've loved way more than I thought I was going to and I, I'm like spine's a great example like I, I hated spine as a medical student because you're you know uh, feet away from the incision and you can't see anything and you get turned into like the accessory scrub tech for an hour and you know there's nothing like it, they're not the most gratifying experiences and they tend to be very long um but like it's super fun to do spine surgery as a resident and um you know developing the skill of like uh, putting pedicle screws in and really getting to understand that 3D anatomy particularly in the context of deformity surgery is super cool and like I love that that's a thing that like I've learned and I can do now um and so I think everyone has to have an open mind about you know not sort of saying oh I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that like you want to come into neurosurgery with a, a sort of a, as unformed a perspective as possible. And it's okay to have interests and it's okay to say, oh, I've been writing this paper about pituitaries. I think they're really cool. Like that's, that's great. Um, and I, I guess I'm saying you gotta kind of walk a line between articulating interest without pigeonholing yourself. And I think the most important thing above all is teachability. And I, I have Joey kind of alluded to this. I haven't come up with a metric for you know. I, I want to be like the Angela Duckworth of teachability, like because grit is a cool thing, an interesting thing, and it's different than that. And what I'm, what I'm kind of getting at is the, you know, I would take someone who knows nothing, but who I only have to teach each thing once, over someone who comes in with more knowledge than in you know, more skill than an average PGY two or three, but who you're gonna have to beat it into their head to like close this way, not that way, or you know, this is how you. Manage an EVD and subarachnoid hemorrhage, or whatever. Like the someone who is able to take critical feedback, integrate it, improve quickly, and who's very dedicated to their own self-improvement. Those are the people who who are the all stars, and who are who inspire you to be a better teacher, and inspire you to want to give them more resources and give them more tools because you see them accelerating in, in their their abilities and their their learning and. You know, someday I'm going to figure out how to, how to assess for teachability and, and just match those people to whatever program I end up in. Like, <laughs> teachability score, validate it. Yeah, yeah, something like that. That's great.
1: Yeah, thanks. I think I would add to all those things just to kind of summarize it is I think that you get a very similar set of characteristics from a lot of people that have watched students succeed or fail or have had to train people that were more or less receptive right so i think the core things you have to be you're honest and hard working i mean i think you can go nowhere without those things two things you're probably not in medical school unless you're bright enough to do it like to learn but um, there are some barriers to being teachable i think that's an incredibly smart thing that chris said about the teachability piece so one thing that is makes you not teachable is like being arrogant you know another thing that makes you not teachable is just not picking up basic information well. Um, not, this isn't really for you. No matter how many times I teach you to do this procedure, you're just not gonna pick it up. And that's another thing that sub help is that, you, you know, we, everyone gets a sense of these things. But I think honest, hardworking, what attendings really want more than spectacular academic talent, and we want that. But you have to be safe, honest, and hardworking to you know to make it like if you don't know something you have to be able to say hey i don't know how to do this you have to be on that's part of it is honesty i mean you this is the core competency to take care of patients when you're not around attendings trust the care of their patients and their reputation and in some cases their medical legal liabilities to residents so you're looking for um, these characteristics of someone you can trust taking care of your patient explicitly without having to worry all day and all night that they're going to you know, put in an EVD when they're not capable and they just didn't want to bring it up. And they had to be you know, honest, teachable, trainable, um, and, and trustworthy.
0: We could almost end there, honestly. I do think there's a, there's some value in talking a little bit about the interview process, um, maximizing that time, um, just spending a little bit. There's a lot, obviously a lot of parallel here. I think there's two places that I, I, in my conversations with other students, the resident dinner, I think that's a, that's a big one. I think a lot of people are trying to make an impression in a short amount of time. And if there's anything that you guys have thoughts there, and then just uh, what questions in an interview should, should students be looking to get answered? Um, certainly if they didn't rotate on those, those services uh, within those programs. Um, so, so Joy, I'd start with you, you know.
3: Yes, yeah, I, I, personally i think the resident dinner is is one of the more important parts if not the most important part of the interview for the medical students it's it's super important to be able to see the culture and the people that you're going to be working with for the next seven years because again in the end most programs boil down to a fairly similar course of what you're going to be doing over the next seven years but it's the people that really does really changes the experience I, I would say that it's important to, to act yourself. You know, with a couple caveats. Uh, again, you're, you're, you're uh, applying for a very important and serious profession uh, where people's lives are uh, in your hands. And so, you know, it's, it's not necessarily the night that you want to test out how much you can drink or how drunk you can get um, or how loud uh, you can be. You know, I, I think that the, the, re, the applicants who have kind of rubbed me the wrong way during interview dinners are people who spend a lot of time talking about themselves and um, end up kind of cutting out the, their co-interviewees. Uh, don't let them talk or bring everything that their co-interviewee says back to, you know, some achievement that they made. It goes back to being humble, being a team player. Um, these are all important concepts within neurosurgery, and so I, I think those are all, you know, Im- important things for uh, applicants to be to be thinking of. I feel like there's a second part to your question.
0: No, that's great, and I think that answers the broader question of just making an impression. You know showing that you are humble, not making a strong impression for the wrong reasons, you know, that sort of thing. Um the second the second question is just more about like from a student perspective, what what are some things that we should answer that we might not be able to answer as thoroughly as we would on a sub eye?
3: Oh that, that there was something that I just a quick quick thing when I when I interviewed um at Cleveland Clinic, uh, Dr. Benzel, who was sent across from me, said It was my first interview um, and I remember him saying, I want you for all the rest of your interviews to try to look in the eyes of the residents and see if they're happy. See if they look dead inside or if they look happy. Um, And that was something that I I really took to heart. There are programs where I think that uh, residents tend to be really happy and really love what they're doing like Christopher has been talking about. And there's places where uh, that may not be every resident's kind of experience. And I, I think that as an applicant, it's really important to take a look at those, try to look in, into the resident's eyes and, and just see, see what, see what they're uh, experiencing.
1: They'll signal it to you um, if they're unhappy. I mean, uh, some people explicitly told me when I asked about (laughs) research and they would say, oh, well, go ask that person that's research, you know, year got, you know, sliced because they needed more clinical help or whatever. And and, Uh and you'll get the sense. I mean, if you love the program, that was like a one off thing. They're not going to say that, you know. So, right. now It's so also are,
2: to get back to the sub eye thing. It's a good thing to ask people who rotated there, yes. because again, you know, a, a night where like the department's paying for everyone who's willing to get off their butt to show up and you know eat and drink at a restaurant, sometimes with their families and their friends and whatever else, you can hide a lot for a night, for a dinner, etc. Um, right. Ask someone who rotated there. Like, are they happy? Is are they like this all the time? What's the community like? What's the culture like? And I guess there's, uh, you know, those things change over time, you know, in the Mm -hmm. six and a half years I've been here, like the general mood of this program has shifted in some ways, but it hasn't changed dramatically because most programs tend to pick people who want to be in that kind of environment and who want to participate in the kind of culture that already exists there and so even though there's, you know, there are big overarching trends that you can do to a degree select for or against you for the most part, you know, a good example is like, we tend to get people who are excited or at least tolerant about living in, you know, a pretty cold, pretty small town here like rochester minnesota is not for everyone and you could say that's, the same in new york like i came from my NYU vacation and, like
0: that's my vacation spot is rochester yeah,
2: yeah i mean <laughs> I do every weekend especially these days <laughs> yeah right it's the only olmstead county is the only place in minnesota without a natural lake and 10, of them and zero here it's wow. can't vacation in olmstead um,
0: <laughs> that's unbelievable
1: yeah it's another thing man, you can do right, is yeah. count residents and interview dinner you know if oh yeah does, like less yeah. than like seventy five percent show up. That's a problem. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, there's there's Good lots plan. of things.
2: Yeah, that's that's a huge negative indicator. Huh. Interesting. Um, uh, so to your to your earlier question, I guess I would say that something that's very important to me, and others may dispute this, I think it's okay to be yourself. In fact, I would even say it's important to be yourself. You know, don't be a freak show. Um, Like, you don't have to be your weirdest, most esoteric self. And again, I say this is a fairly weird, fairly esoteric person. But like, here's a really good example. I decided I was not going to shave my beard for any of my residency interviews because if somewhere was not going to match me because I had facial hair, I don't want to work in that department. And like, I think that's okay. And um, <laughs> you know, if you're, these are people you're going to spend seven years working with um, you want to at least give them a little peek of like who you're going to be. It's okay to tell a joke every now and then just don't tell um, you know, a bad joke or, you know, a right. really inappropriate Appropriate joke, joke, et cetera. Like, Read the room, use good judgment. You guys know what I'm saying. Right. Um, and similarly, I do think it's okay to relax a little bit, particularly if there's an event with just residents. If you're someone who drinks, it's okay to have a drink or two. If um, you know, you're know you invited to go out to a bar after the dinner, you should go and socialize, like participate in whatever you are able to participate in. But try not to become a trail legend. You know, you don't you don't want to be someone who participated so enthusiastically that you don't remember what you participated in, and and maybe other exactly. people will hear about it in the future. That's that's not a great look. It, it makes you seem like someone who has come bad to, judgment, if nothing else. People right. can
1: tell when you come to interviews hungover. Yeah. Or yeah. Like, yeah not, a good look. not a
2: good look. Yeah, you have to be super cool to pull that look off, yeah, and enough. most people in your Ruby <laughs> are not super cool. Maybe you can shade um, Yeah. <laughs> I think it's really important to be able to talk about things that are not neurosurgery. Mm, Um, Yeah. And I also think it's really important and Joey alluded to this, and I will slam this nail in. Don't just talk about yourself. Like mm. you ask the residents about themselves, ask the staff about themselves, ask them about the town, ask them about activities, ask them about their families. Like, mm. you know, it's like going on a date. And, and if you don't know what I mean by that, then I, I'm not sure how to improve the advice, but um, <laughs> you, know, you want to, if you just spend the whole time talking about yourself, you won't go on a lot of second dates. That's right. um, and then the last thing I would say is a lot of it is, um, is sort of individualized that p- the best program for me is not the best program for Michael or Joey or Jeremiah. You are an individual who has discrete specific needs. You need to be honest about what those are. Most of them fall into three big categories or sort of what are you looking for in clinical training? What are you looking for in sort of academics, research, the sort of paraclinical space? And then there's the like geography, lifestyle, personal stuff. Some people are very committed to a particular location, either for personal reasons or uh, family reasons, et cetera. Some people are willing to move everywhere. Some people wanna be somewhere warm or cold or whatever. I think all of that is uh, should be secondary, but that's again, that's my opinion. I was someone who was like, the academic and political stuff mattered a little bit more to me, but I also, there were certain places that I didn't really interview because I knew that I would be unhappy there. So you need to ask questions that kind of kind of fill in the gaps on okay I'm looking to live in this kind of a town is this place like that I'm looking to be in an environment that like protects a research year but like for real protects a research year do they do that here and you know those are good things to ask about um, in the sort of more hair let down environment of the dinner you know you can try to find some of the the residents and say what what a typical research year is look like if that was something that was very important to you. That's great. So you use it to do information gathering. Um, yeah. And, and again, and target people who sub there. It's and, and you can you can cross breed these conversations across interviews. You know, at this interview, you may be sitting next to the guy who sub-eyed at the place you just came from and you didn't get some information there. And he's a great person to ask, like, hey, I just came from program X. Um, and I didn't really figure out what their like research year structure like is like. How much of that? How often do they get pulled for clinical duties or cover the OR, or call or whatever? And and they'll have a, a meaningful answer usually, at least something better than what you got out of the two days. And you know, take take advantage of those opportunities and. You know and get to know people you know yeah. joey mentioned this earlier you're this is this is your posse long term i'm i'm still very tight with um a handful of guys from you know the the very literally the very first interview i went on huh. um yeah that's it's cool a, it's, a, it's a good time take advantage of it
0: yeah yeah try to enjoy it and where you can um yeah and introduce yourself
2: with both names this is another pet peeve of mine like everyone you have you have a first name and a last name and this is a professional setting. Like. You know, I'm Christopher Graffio. I'm not Chris. Like, I'm, and it's okay. Like, in a casual side, I don't. I don't want that. That comes across as a little bit of a jerk. But like, what I'm saying is, like, <laughs> introduce yourself to people. There's a lot of people named Chris out there, so maybe I'm particularly sensitive to this. But I think it's, <laughs> I think it's good to make sure that you know people get both of your names when you're when you're introducing yourself. And um, you know, maybe someday we'll introduce ourselves by uh, both of our names on our Twitter handles or something like yeah. that. Bob um, Vance, Vance
0: Refrigeration or something like that. Yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and as a um, footnote to that, all of you medical students out there, I've been waiting to plug this for a million years. Please take aspiring neurosurgeon out of your Twitter bio. That sounds ridiculous. Say, <laughs> you know, uh, interested in neurosurgery or something, but like aspiring neurosurgeon is very, it's a little hoity-toity. I'm, I'm tired of it. I'm one man, <laughs> my opinion with a big ass grain of salt, but like, I don't. I don't think anyone should say that they're self identifying as an aspiring neurosurgeon. I think I had that. <laughs> I think I had that. <laughs> and you still match. So, like I, I said, hear everyone, it's just, I turn everyone
0: going to their Twitters mean, right now. not
1: yeah. mean much, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, I think it sounds Twitter. silly. Let's put it that way. <laughs> this isn't a side, but my favorite pet peeve about Twitter is all the ways people try to do gymnastics to make it look like they're not promoting themselves and they're promoting themselves. Like, oh, yeah. I'm oh. proud <laughs> to have been invited to give this talk or this kind of thing. We're very fortunate, humbled. Yeah, yeah, yeah right.
2: humbled, yeah. Humbled was the big <laughs> <Right>. one. <laughs> hashtag, hashtag humble brag. <laughs> well, finally know, degenerated into a real podcast. That's yeah. what it is, yeah. <laughs> so I, I wanted
1: to add a few things about those comments about how to, how to behave on interview dinner and the night before dinner and these things, um, which is that I think all these tells about talking about yourself too much not being teachable, they all come back to, to one thing What everybody's looking for, which is uh, is like, essentially your emotional intelligence, right? Like the insight into yourself. So I had a recent conversation with a program director and um, they gave them, they gave actually uh, the medical students that just finished their rotation, the ability to grade themselves. And then all the program director and the associate program director and a couple more faculty graded them. And they said that uh, it was quite interesting um, to see sometimes that occasionally there's a major disparity where the applicant thought way more of themselves than everyone else did and it, and it kind of goes into insight right where are your limitations uh how you know honesty you like these all these different things are all kind of all intertangled together in in, in in this evaluation system and, and some of the tells are arrogance talking about your yourself all the time that you may be in that spectrum that doesn't really fully Absorb or able to be honest with themselves, as Chris says. I mean, there's a lot of these things that are overlapping themes. So that's just kind of one other little comment I would make. So don't be the person that's not teachable, directable, can't learn, thinks that they're the greatest, no one can dissuade them from it. You know, be the person that's humble, you know, is themselves, but themselves aren't a train wreck of, of uh, you know, unrealistic things that they say about themselves, you know? Right. Yeah. If you're a medical student, you probably didn't earn all fives. Yeah. Um, but you also you want to be careful not to say outrageous things. Like, I, right. know, there was a particular person in, uh, that I know that has claimed that they were only going to rank places that were on beaches, uh, You know. Um, you know, or only I'm going to rank only places in one city. You know, I mean, if you want to go to surgery, you're going to have to be willing to go anywhere to train to do it. I mean, and that's what the kind of dedication people want to hear. hear. Um, I mean, you may have family reasons that you're rooting to stay in one place, but I don't know if you can only say tell people you're only going to rank places in one city or one region and, and be taken kind of seriously, in my opinion. You
2: know? and, and, and even if you are, you gain nothing by disclosing that by information. Telling that, right.
1: It makes it you goes, look
2: close-minded, to- unenthusiastic, short-sighted. And like, you don't understand statistics. Like and you don't, don't understand
1: statistics. what it takes to the sacrifices it takes to do the job either. Yeah.
2: yeah it's, it's a bad look. Like, keep that to yourself. Yeah. Don't well, be interested in just good advice in general for a neurosurgery applicant <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or like in life. In life, so
1: yeah. Don't say things that don't show that you don't have insight into how everything works. Yeah. Right. And
2: I think this is also like, this is very obvious, but like it is in your best interest to avoid controversial topics like, if you get asked about something, you have to be prepared to answer politely and hopefully in a way that will allow you to elegantly change the topic and pivot it to a less controversial subject quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it, it's not a great idea to bring up um, religion, politics, et cetera, those sorts of things. Uh, you don't know what people's values are. You don't know what people's practices are. You don't know what recent experiences they've had. And it's... Uh, Again, it's, it's like going on a date. You, you don't necessarily want to ask um, questions that are going to put someone in, in the wrong kind of mood or, mm-hmm. or make you uh, have to confront a, you know, a more philosophical disagreement with someone who is in the empowered position in the relationship right. like that's, that's likely to hurt you rather than help you. Help Again, you. if for no other reason, you seem like you've got bad judgment. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think that we've dissected
2: this out pretty well.
1: I want to plug uh, Chris Grafeo's article on all this that uh, he wrote for our nurse neurosurgery newsletter some time ago. And we put it on neurosurgerymatch.org. If you go to sub eyes, it's called hot on the trail. And I want to read one passage because I, I think it's the best thing I've ever read about this. And I'm, I'm, I'm so impressed when I saw it. Um, so it says uh, at all times, be interested, helpful, respectful, professional, and present without being obstructive. Even the best students slow down resident team, show sensitivity to this, and you will stand out by default be prepared be early know your patients their imaging their numbers and their plans inside and out and ask if there's any pre-rounding you can assess the residents with assist the residents with in the morning scrub as many cases as possible stay late and offer to take on low- impact scut work where appropriate princes dressing changes comma bed checks etc princes however if you're told there's nothing to do or explicitly encouraged to leave the hospital always do as instructed few things annoy residents more than a student who does not listen. If possible, make a point to meet and scrub frequently with the chairman, the program director, and the senior faculty, while showing sensitivity to the fact that any other rotators will share the same goal, and you will need to always be collegial and considerate. There you go. Amen. We should have just put that in here. (laughs) There's more of that that on nurseorgmatch.org under the sub. (laughs) Well,
0: we'll make sure that we get all these links uh, consolidated, and so people can can find all this info. That's, that's great. Yeah. I think that that's a great way to summarize everything that we talked about today. Well, our guests have been uh, Dr. Christopher Grafeo and Dr. John Lindsay. Uh Thank you so much for being on tonight and I hope you guys have a great day. Appreciate you Thanks guys so much. much.
2: All right. Thank you so much for having us and have fun out there, everyone. It's a, it's a great time to start of something really amazing. Hope to meet you. Thank you.
0: Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, Please subscribe, follow, and leave a comment in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your audio content. Make sure to follow MSNTC and the YNC on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And check out our webpage at neurosurgerytraining.org TNJ, where you can find other episodes and links and resources related to today's conversation. Be sure to check out the YNC's webinar series and visit their webpage on ans.org. If you have comments or ideas for episodes or would like to join us to talk about anything neurosurgery related, Our email address is tnjpodcast at neurosurgerytraining.org. We'd love to hear from you. Finally, I'd like to thank Matt Rosenthal, one of our fantastic MSNTC volunteers, for helping with the editing and processing, and also thank all the fabulous people involved in this project. Have a great day, and we look forward to next time.